But today's scripture, we're finally into John chapter 15. So we'll move out of 14, and we're into 15. And I got to tell you, and it sounds cliche when I'm, when I'm up here saying this, but it's so true. John chapter 15, and I'm not going to say it's my favorite one, but it's <clears throat> so rich in doctrine that trying to decide what to focus on is daunting because there's not just a little bit there to talk about. There's a ton. And, you know, just with the two or three hours I have a lot of me today to speak to you, I'll uh, really just won't even, no, we'll, we'll get out of here in a little bit. We really don't have time to dig into the richness that's there. So my prayer today is, is well, many things, that, you know, the message encourages you. If, if, you're, if you're living for the Lord, that it's encouraging that you can live in his joy. And, and, and if you're not, to encourage you that a life in Christ is life. A life outside of Christ is not life. And also to encourage you just the knowledge that there is so much depth in these 11 verses. Really, we're only going through 11. I probably told her wrong because I do that all the time. These 11 verses that we're going to go through, I can't, I can't dispensate all the truth that's in there for you in the time here. I can't do it in a lifetime. There's more there than I know. But my prayer is that yo, everyone has a time of their own where they can get these pearls, where they can get the truth of the word of God for themselves. Because I can't give it all to you. It really comes through a relationship with Christ yourself and, and getting into the scripture. So with that, let me just open up in a word of prayer and we'll just dive right into it. So pray with me, please. Dear Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here, Lord. And please bless the reading of your word and may it settle in on our hearts and minds and change us to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to dive right into it. John chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read all the way through verse 11, and then we'll start breaking it down a little bit. John chapter 15 and verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself... Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. And you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so that you will be my disciples. Verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love, and keep, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Lots and lots there. And this week... You know, I, I have an idea of what a vine dresser does, and I was speaking in the Catalyst class today about, you know, vine dressing and what that is. And I watched a YouTube video, like I do to learn so many things, is go to YouTube. There's actually good stuff there. You've got to be careful. But. So I saw this video of this fellow, and he was describing what a vine dresser does, because he is a vine dresser. And he described that during the time of harvest, when the grapes are ready for, for picking and, you know, stomping and all this good stuff to, to make the fruit of the vine, to make the wine or the juice or whatever it is, it's a very, very busy time. But for the vine dresser, that is a busy time, but also leading up to the harvest is also busy. 
the, the months and months and months leading up to that time of harvest is an extremely busy time for the vine dresser because he's preparing the fruit for the harvest. And what a vine dresser does is many things, and some of those things a vine dresser does while dressing the vine is inspecting the vine, looking at it, making sure that the fruit is going to come out fruitful. And by doing so, you look and see the, the, the flowers, the blooms that are on, and picking out those branches, those shoots that have blooms and flowers on them, and seeing those ones that do not, removing the ones that don't, clipping them away, and even the ones that do have fruit on them, there's going to be, and I learned this, I think it's 18 to 20 inches long for whatever type of grape this fellow was growing. That's really all the length you need on that branch for it to bear fruit. Any extra branch, any extra on that shoot is just that. It's extra. And it's taking away energy and resources from the fruit. So even on the fruitful vines, the vine dresser comes in and removes that extra length. And even there's extra leaves. There's a certain number of leaves that's optimum for that vine, that, that shoot, to grow fruit. And so if there's extra leaves, he'll pull extra leaves off so that, one, they're not taking away the nutrients. Number two, they don't shade the fruit from the sun. And, of course, there's other things on there that's just deadfall and things that the vine dresser removes. So as a vine dresser, from the time the vine is planted to the time of harvest, it's an extremely busy time. It's always doing something, doing it to make sure that the fruit is, you know, big and sweet and, and flavorful and abundant right? So it's not just at the time of harvest. That vine dresser is busy all throughout the year, pruning dead branches, pruning fruitful branches, and removing stuff from the vine to ensure that it is good fruit at harvest time. And verse 1 says, I am the true vine. That's Jesus Christ speaking. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, it's very clear. Jesus is the vine, and the Father, God the Father, is the vine dresser. These verses have been misconstrued some in, um, throughout time. Some people will read this and say that he removes vines, excuse me, removes branches from the vine means you can lose your salvation. That is not the case. And I want to make that case clear today by using other verses as well as some series of verses out of James, which, which uh, were read this morning by Gabriel, that sometimes also are misconstrued. Now, if we read these verses, if you take one verse out of Scripture, read that one verse, you may not get the context and you may not understand what the actual meaning of that verse is. And in James chapter 2, we read, faith without works is dead and you need works for your faith. And some people can misconstrue that as, oh, okay, so to be saved, we have to work. It's, it's Jesus plus what we do. I want to get down to the nitty-gritty today and show you a major point in doctrine, that it's salvation by grace through faith, not of our works. It can be misconstrued here in John chapter 15 in this first verses that these shoots that the vine dresser, the father, is removing from the vine are people that are saved and then stop doing something, and then are removed, and they're taken from the salvation. Not the case, and I think it's extremely clear that that is the case. The vine dresser's job, like I said, is to ensure that the fruit is ready for harvest. He removes branches that have no fruit to ensure that those that do have fruit make fruit more efficiently. He pulls away dead debris so that he ensures that the vines that are producing fruit produce fruit more efficiently. 
and he prunes extra length from those fruitful vines also to ensure that those vines that are making fruit do it more effectively and efficiently as well. well. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Obviously, if you look at this analogy of a vine and the branches and the branches producing fruit, if you take a branch from an apple tree, you take a branch from a, an olive tree, you take a branch from a, a vine with grapes, and you remove that branch from the trunk of the tree or the vine, it's not going to produce anything because where does it get its sustenance? From that trunk of the tree, from the roots of the ground, or from that vine that's rooted in the ground. The fruit comes from sustenance that comes from the vine. It does go through the branches, but the branches are not supplying the nutrients and sustenance that's coming from the vine. So this is a very obvious analogy where Jesus is saying, you and I, we are the branches. But Jesus says, I am the vine. And you cannot produce fruit apart from me. Because if you are apart from me, you're going to be dead and withered on the ground. So it's a very, very clear analogy. But it's also a very, very deep analogy. Apart from Christ, our, our efforts are futile. There are so many people today that, that try to get to heaven, that try to maintain a relationship with the God in heaven by doing really good stuff so that God will owe them salvation. I've talked to so many people at the retirement homes that have gone through their life, this long life, maybe even going to church, because generally the, the people that show up for church at a, at a retirement home are people that have been in church their whole lives, generally. And in speaking with so many of them, it's, it's, it's frustrating to know that they've been at a church their entire lives and have not heard the true gospel. Because I'll ask them, are you going to heaven? And they say, I hope so. I say, would you like to know so? They're like, well, how do you know? And you read out of Romans and go through the Romans road and you, you show them this thing that you can be assured of your salvation. And they say, well, you know, I hope I'm going to heaven because I, I lived a good life. I tried to raise my kids well. I, I did the things that I think I'm supposed to do. It's like, apart from Christ, those works are nothing. And even in Christ, those works are not your salvation. Those are good works if you did them in Christ. But salvation comes through Christ alone. It's grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense, right? Through his mercy. We don't get what we deserve, but through grace we get what we don't deserve. It's his works. It's not our works. That fruit does not save us. That fruit is fruit of salvation coming through the vine. And that's a piece of doctrine that's extremely important to get right. It's extremely important to get right because that fruit, if it's fruit and we're on the vine, that fruit is of the vine. Four good works. We're saved four good works. We're going to get all into that. I'll tell you what, in these verses, it's easy for me to get the cart in front of the horse because there is a lot here and I'm trying to, you've got to read it for yourself and you've got to study it for yourself because I'm going to skip out on about five major, major pieces of doctrine that we should get out of this because we just don't have time. And that's why I pray you have your own Bible study because I can't give it all to you. Unless, you know, well, how much time we I'm just kidding. We're going to move on to, I just read verse 5, didn't I? I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Should we expect anything less from a good vine dresser? You know, as a human, we say someone, you go out in their vineyard and, and they've got 
trash all over their vines, and they've got dead branches hanging on their vines, and they've got fruit that's just withering on the vine. He said, that's a horrible vine dresser. Why would we expect God to be any less of a vine dresser than a man? You catch what I'm saying? God is going to prune because he's good. He's going to remove the dead branches because he's good. He's going to want good fruit because he's good. So that pruning that occurs of getting rid of the dead branches, and that pruning that occurs to us believers is good. The discussion we had in uh, Catalyst class today was the difference between type 1 and type 2 fun. I wasn't going to get into this today, but but it makes sense. As a Christian, as a believer in Christ, as one that is in the will of God, as one that is really trying to do the best we can and, and, and just loves Jesus and, and is moving through our life and just trusting in God, guess what will happen to us from time to time? We'll have hardships. We'll have tribulation. We'll be getting pruned and tested. And that is not a fun thing at the time. It is not a fun thing at the time. The analogy, I used a couple of them this morning, but Tammy's first pregnancy... She was nine and a half, ten months of, uh, this is coming from the husband's perspective, look on the outside, misery. I mean, it, she was just sick, 25 hours a day, eight days a week. Just, she, went to, she went to work, she was teaching class at Wagner Sally. She would teach her class, go to the bathroom, vomit, go back to class, teach another class, go in the bathroom, throw up, just do this day after day after day. And just felt miserable. And, you know, I, I think I'm a pretty tough guy. But, man, you get my stomach queasy. I'm just a mess. I can't do anything. And she just kept going. She's doing graduate-level studies at school, uh, college at the time. Sick all day. She didn't have morning sickness. She had all-day sickness. So fast forward to the time when Noah was born. And Noah was, you know, just brand-new baby. He's still gooped up and everything. Have you ever seen a brand-new baby? Um, he's cute now. But he was over there with the nurses. And they were, you know, counting his fingers and toes, and he's over there just bawling, rah, just super loud. And, and Tammy can't move because she's over there in the, the, the bed. And so I'm looking at Noah, and he's over there just yelling his head off. Rah! And I'm thinking, well, he's been with her comfortable for, you know, nine and a half months. He just got separated. He's wet and cold out there in the world, light shining on him, and strange people counting his fingers and toes. So I ran over there and told the nurses, hey, give him to me real quick. And they're like, we're not done. I said, well, he's mine. He's not yours. I took him. And then I took him over to Tammy. And I laid him down next to Tammy, and he got completely quiet and comfortable. He just laid there, just chilling. And the nurses were over there, come on. Okay, fine. So I grabbed Noah, and I, and I bring him back over. And they start screaming again, so I, I saw him one more time. But I say this because when I brought Noah over to Tammy, and he settled in and just got real quiet. Keeping in mind, this is pretty fresh. I mean, he was just born. He's, he's not even cute yet. It's that early. Um, he's laying down next to her, and he gets quiet, and Tammy just, ah. Oh. And she looks at me, and she says, Let's do this again. We need another kid. I'm like, do you remember the last nine and a half months? And she said, it wasn't that bad. That's type two fun. That's type two fun. Type one fun is it's fun while you're doing it. And I learned this from Mr. Greg. Type two fun is it's not that fun while you're doing it. But after you're done, you look back on the experience and see where you are and go, that was good. That was good. So all the misery she went through for nine and a half, ten months to look at this kid I mean, seconds after, and just go, that wasn't that bad. Look at this. Look at the fruit of this labor. This is good. This is really good. It was worth it. It was absolutely worth it. That's type two fun. It's like running a 5K. We did that mile two. Who, nobody likes that. Mile three, even worse. And then you get to the finish line and get some water, and you're like, that was great. I'm really glad I did that. I'm glad I didn't stop running. I'm glad I completed the race. A baby boy. Look at this fruit. This is good fruit. That last nine months, eh, that's what God does. 
He will prune us. He will give us situations that aren't easy. But at the end of it, you look back and you're like, ah, that's what he was doing. That's what he was doing. This is good. So that pruning that happens to Christians, that's something that we not only just have to put up with, we should rejoice in it. Because we know on the backside of that, if God's doing the work, it's good. It's good. Let's move on. In verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. You know, as in verse 2, it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. All that stuff God's working on, right? He's taking away unfruitful stuff. He's pulling away extra leaves and things that are, that are blocking our, our sun, right, so we can grow. He's, he's getting rid of other branches that are taking energy away that, that need to be gone. And he's obviously referring to the judgment at this point in time, right? Branches that are being cut off and then for the fire. But that's not to say that there's people that are saved he's removing. And like I said, this caused some confusion to some people. That, okay, I'm saved today, but then I messed up. Oh, now I'm not saved. So I got to go get saved again. And then, oh, yeah, I messed up again. If that were the case, there's a couple things. Number one, Jesus' death on the cross was not sufficient. It was not, and he's not going to die and then you sin again and go die again. That's not going to happen. It says once and done. And it also says several things in the Bible. Like Romans 8, 35 through 39. Because are we saved? And can we lose our salvation? No. Romans 8, 35 through 39 states, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, Paul is persuaded through the Holy Spirit, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, and to make sure that he covered everything, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what can separate us from the love of God? Absolutely nothing. So if you are in Christ's love, you're there. And guess what you're going to do sometime? You're going to mess up. Get back up. It's not a Christian stand still. It's not a Christian lay there in water. It's a Christian walk. Get up and keep walking because we're saved unto good works. Those aren't the things that save us. So what is being removed from the vine? The things that are being removed from the vine are unbelievers are being removed from the vine. Those that are not saved, those that don't profess Christ, that openly say they don't, and some that do but are not saved. And how can that be? How can someone profess Christ and not be saved? If people, there are people that claim Christ that are not saved. Maybe they're lying, right? Or maybe they had an emotional experience, but no real salvation occurred. They're sort of a James 2.17 person, if you know James 2.17. Their dead faith is made apparent by their lack of fruit or their lack of works. James 2.17 reads, Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works or fruit, it's dead. So no works, no fruit, dead faith, not saved. This does not mean that your works save you. Just as God will not remove the saved people from the vine, we're not saved because we have fruit. Let me, let me kind of break that down just a little bit. God does not remove saved people from the vine, but it's not our fruit that saves us. We remain on the vine, we have fruit, but that's not what saves us. Salvation is basically being attached to that vine. That's salvation. You're, being, you're attached to Christ. So you'll read in James 2, which Gabe read a little bit earlier, 
verses that at first glance may seem to say that we are saved by faith and works. Because if you don't have those works, there's probably not a salvation there. But that's not the, the word that James is saying. As a matter of fact, when, when the Bible was um, first being canonized here, or being translated, back in the day there was some discussion, does James belong in the Bible? But if you read the entirety of James in the narrative, it is extremely clear what James is talking about. It's a faith that produces works. It's not works that produce faith. If you have the faith, you will have the works. If you don't have the faith, you'll have no works, no good works. Like I say, at first glance, it may seem like James is talking works equals salvation. But I'm going to go through a few verses here really quickly that clearly show that we're not saved by our works. And you know, this, is how, this is how part of a, a Bible study for me goes. I want to look up some verses that have a topic. And Pastor Clint's mentioned he's going to try to turn Siri into a Christian, right? Hey, Siri, read me these verses. Well, I'm trying to make Google a Christian too because you can, you can search out Bible verses on Google. And I would not say this is the end all of your Bible study, but it's a good tool to use. Hey, verses on uh, salvation by faith. Bloop. 40 of them come up. They're all over the place. Now, I just picked out a few because y'all can go look at it for yourself. It's extremely, extremely, extremely clear that in the Bible... It says, we are saved not of our works. We are saved by our faith, right? We're attached to the vine. We're a branch attached to the vine. We're saved. That fruit comes because we're attached to the vine. It's not the other way around. Let me read you Romans 3.28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from deeds of the law. Okay, that's pretty clear. We are justified by faith apart from our deeds. So that's pretty clear. Second one, Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Galatians 2.16, which is extremely clear. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. I could stop there. I'm going to keep reading. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even when we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. That is very black and white clear. We are saved not by the works. So how do we clarify this in James? Those verses are very clear. In James 2, like I said at first glance, it may seem like it's saying, hey, you need faith and works to be saved. Right? Uh, justification by faith plus works. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. If you look at verse 24. And we're going to read all that in James here in a moment. This apparent problem, and it's an apparent problem, it is not actually when you actually read through the Bible, is solved by, like I said, examining the whole of James's argument. The idea that a person can have saving faith without producing any fruit is much akin to a fruitless branch being attached to Jesus. If you look at what we're reading here, if it's a fruitless branch, what happens to it? It's clipped off. The salvation is gone. We clearly see that you can't lose your salvation. And we clearly see that we're saved by grace, not by works. So those branches that are clipped off that don't have fruit, they're not saved. They're not attached to Jesus. But they weren't clipped off because they were saved and they weren't doing anything about it and lost their salvation. They're clipped off because they don't have fruit. But they don't have fruit because they never were of Jesus. They never were of Jesus. Now, if we look into John, I'm going to read James 2, 14 through 24. 
this was read earlier today, but think about it in context of being attached to the vine and producing fruit or not producing fruit and being disattached. Verse 14 in James chapter 2. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? All right, this sounds like, whoa, whoa, do we have to have works to be saved? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace and be warmed and filled, but you don't do anything about it, you don't give them the things that are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So I'll recap that real quick. If you have nothing to show for what you believe, if you say you believe in Christ, but there's nothing to back it up, where is your faith actually? If you say to me, if I'm hungry and naked and destitute, go and be filled and be happy and don't do anything about it, what faith did you actually have? What your works showed that you don't really care if you're just saying, go be happy and don't do anything about it. Verse 18 Excuse me, verse 14, 18, yes, but someone will say, this is verse 18, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. I'm going to get that one again because that one's pretty cool. Someone will say you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. All right, you say you have faith, show me. Show me your faith without your works. Can you do that? The answer is No. Show me your faith. Pull it out of your pocket. Show me your faith. You can't do that. I will show you my faith by my works. My faith is separate from my works. They're two different things. But I'm going to demonstrate to you the faith I have by the things that I do. That's what James is saying. That's the point he's making. That faith is there or it's not there. And your works demonstrate the faith that you have or the faith that you don't have. Everybody has faith in something. So I will say the works that you do demonstrate your faith. If your works are works for good in Christ, of Christ, then okay, if you're demonstrating you have faith in that. When you stand up for Jesus amongst a dark world of people that don't like Jesus, and yet you stand firm, okay, I can see that. I can see your faith in your works. When you cower and are afraid of what people think about you and don't want to proclaim Jesus in public, oh, I see your faith by your works. It's dead, right? This is very clear stuff. It's not the faith that the faith produces the works, it's not the other way around. But some will say, I have faith and you have works, but show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. Right, but where do they put their faith? Didn't they put their faith in Lucifer, the one that wanted to be exalted like God, and then they were cast out? That's where their faith was. Sure, they believe, they know, they know God, they know who God is. That's not where their faith is, though. They believe in it, right? But they're not putting their faith in it. Was Abraham our father justified by the works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. His belief was accounted righteousness. And this verse right here can be misconstrued a little bit. And he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. But what that's saying is genuine faith in Christ will produce a changed life that results in good works. James is not saying that it's faith plus works. But rather a person is truly justified by faith will have good works. Just like a branch that's attached to Jesus is going to have fruit, right? 
The works are an outward show of our genuine faith. And what an outward demonstration justifies or confirms the believer in the sight of other people. That salvation comes through grace, through faith, and that faith is made manifest in good works. It's, it's not the other way around. The faith is proved by the works, right? The works that follow the faith prove what a person has faith in. That goes back to that verse 18. Someone say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. And I'll show you my faith by my works. They're two separate things, but I will show you my faith. I'll, I'll prove it out. I'll demonstrate it. I'll justify to you that I have faith in this because of what I'm doing. Matter of fact, Paul says that those who have true faith in Jesus will be eager to do good works. That's in Titus chapter 2. Ephesians 2 is incredibly clear on this. It immediately after it says that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ, not of our own works, lest we boast. It says, and you were saved unto good works. Just like you're attached to the vine so you can make fruit. It's not the fruit that saves you. It's being attached to the vine that saves you. The fruit does not save us. The fact that those are saved are in Christ. Those that are saved are attached to the true vine. That's the reason we're fruitful. That's the whole reason why we have fruit is because we're attached to the vine. That fruit doesn't save us. So no, Jesus is not removing Christians from the vine and they're losing their salvation and going to hell. And no, those, that fruit is not what saves us. It's the salvation that produces the fruit. And what James is saying is, your faith, if it doesn't have works of Christ, your faith is dead. What do you believe in? You believe in things. Everybody has a belief in something, right? And our works are going to manifest from our faith. And if they're good works, great. And if they're not good works, it shows what you believe in. So it's very simple and very complicated at the same time. That we're not saved by our works. We're saved by faith, right, through grace. And we'll produce good works because of that. And if there are no good works, we really need to check our salvation. And those good works are extremely important. Extremely important because we're attached to a vine. Who would want to be attached to a vine and not have fruit? That's, that's why... They're clipped from the vine because they're not saved. And so many people will think, well, you know, how can you be attached to a vine and, and not be saved? And it's an analogy that Jesus is making of a heavenly thing. And I'll get to a verse in, in 1 John 2.19. 1 John 2.19. It's like, how in the world, if the fruit doesn't save us, which it doesn't, and you're getting clipped away from this vine, never were saved, but you were kind of, or someone was sort of, you know, in that fold. They're a branch amongst fruitful branches on this, in this vineyard, and it gets clipped away. 1 John 2.19, God does not cut the save from the vine. 1 John 2.19 says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For had they been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were with us. So yes, there's people that claim Christ. But they're not of Christ. There are people that will tell you that they believe. There are people that go to church every Sunday. But they're not a believer. And John says, hey, the reason why you don't see them anymore, they moved out, is because they never were of us. Now, that's not to say that someone that is saved is going to be perfect all the time and always be in attendance. There's a difference there. There's someone that's just gone off and they're gone. Well, perhaps they never were saved to begin with. 
But we're not all perfect. And, and God knows that. And one encouraging thing that we can see in these scriptures that I want you to leave with, if you are a follower of Christ, this could be very encouraging because you're attached to the vine. And the God, God the Father is working all the time, clipping stuff away from us and pulling leaves out of the way so that the light will hit us and even clipping off from us. And that's painful, but he's doing it for the good. If you claim to be saved but are doing nothing about it, I want you to think of it this way. So, so what if I told you that this morning, um, let's say that I just came running in here right now because I was, I was running late. And I just came out here and said, hey, guys, sorry I'm late. I know it's, you know, it's 11.25 right now, but I'm late because I was backing out of the driveway and I remembered, oh, you know, I forgot to get my glasses like I do pretty much every day. And so I went back in the house, but, you know, I was partway down the driveway, but I just let the truck run in and opened the door and got out. And I've got this pine tree in my yard. It's about, it's a big old thing near the end of the driveway, you know, like eight foot in circumference tree like 100 feet tall it weighs tons and tons and tons well it just so happened that the time I got out of the truck and came in that tree had broken and fell down and hit me square in the head on the way down from the sky and so you know whoa that kind of put me back a little bit so now I'm late what would you think yeah right you would think man if you had an encounter with something as powerful as a pine tree that big falling from the sky you'd probably be a changed person right But what if you had an encounter with something infinitely more powerful than a pine tree and you didn't change? Would you think maybe, maybe there's something up there? Maybe you didn't really have an encounter, like I didn't really have an encounter with a pine tree? If you have an encounter, a true encounter, with the God of the universe, and he says, I'm going to change you, and you're not changed, did you really have an encounter? Are you really going to go through an experience with God? Not just an emotional experience, but where he says, you are now a new creation. And you're not changed? Did you really get hit with that pine tree? Really? That seems very foolish to say that I was hit by a pine tree in my driveway. And I'm sorry I'm late. There's not a scratch on me. Doesn't that seem kind of foolish? Does it? Yeah. So likewise, doesn't it seem even more foolish? To say, I, was in, I had a one-on-one encounter with the God of the universe, and he changed me, but you just can't see the change? You can't really notice the change? It seems kind of odd, doesn't it? Well, I'm just speaking the truth. God is the vine dresser. He's going to cut, he's going to prune, he's going to change, and he's a good vine dresser. And once you are attached to that vine, you read Galatians, you talk about us as Christians, not the nation of Israel, being grafted in. Right? Now we're in. Now we're a part of the vine. Where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? Well, you know, I don't really have any fruit. because Gone. Never were of us. Right? If you're changed, you're changed. If you're changed, that means something is different. That's a really simple explanation. There is no way to change something without making it different. Because change is change. All right. I'm going to pick back up in verse 7 because I'll tell you what. Wowee. I could do about four more hours here. All right, picking up verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Now, that's, that's two weeks of sermons right there that we don't have time for. But basically, if you're preaching, teaching, praying in Jesus' name and you're doing it in the will of God, it's true. If you pray something in the will of God, guess what? He's going to grant that. Uh, you know, I think pastor used a, you know, hey, poof, I want a pony. Boom, there's no pony. Well, probably wasn't in the will of God, right? 
I was an engineer for, for many years of my life, and there were times when I would have to go to a chief engineer meeting, right? And I would be my, uh, my chief engineer's proxy. He would come in and say, okay, Mike, I can't be there that day. You'll be my proxy. You're going to be me, right? I was not the chief engineer, but at that point in time, at that meeting with the site chief, I had the authority of the chief engineer. And we would make decisions, and I would say, well, we're going to do this in our division, or we're going to do that in this division, and guess what? I was doing it in the name of my chief engineer, and it was done. Now, had I done something apart from what he wanted, guess what would happen? He'd come back and go, Mike, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. We're not doing that, and it wouldn't happen. If I did it in his will, right, as his proxy with his authority, it would happen. Same way with Christ. Hey, we're given authority. We actually have authority here because we speak the name of Christ. We can pray in the name of Christ. And when we do that as his proxy in his will, guess what? It happens. But if you go in to the chief engineer meeting and say, well, all that budget's going to be taken away from these other groups and we're getting all of it. No, that's not going to happen. That's not in the will, right? So we can be foolish and say, well, I prayed it in Jesus' name. It should be mine. Yeah, well, yeah, do it with the proper authority and it'll happen. So once again, that's a sermon for another day. I just want to throw that out there. That was free. All right, moving on. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, right? We do things in his name, and, it's, and we ask for things in his name, and he does it. Hey, God's glorified through that. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so that you will be my disciples. Hey, when we bear fruit, we glorify God in the process. Because we're attached to God. Jesus is God. We're attached to him, and that fruit's coming from him. And that's not, woo, look at me. Look at all the awesome stuff I did. Read Ephesians 2, 10, 2, 8, 9, and 10, right? Oh, no, 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 no. It's not my works. It's Christ, right? All these things that, good fruit, wonderful things that are happening. Hey, it goes vertical. That was him, that was him. The branch ain't going, look at this awesome stuff I did. No, thank you, Vine, for giving me what I need. And thank you for producing this fruit. That's your fruit. So it's not us. It's because we're attached to the vine. That's salvation, being attached to the vine. Being in Christ. Verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants us to have his joy. And that's an amazing thing. This fruit that's produced through us, through the vine. Wow, what an amazing thing. Even when it's type 2 fun. And I would say especially when it's type 2 fun. Type 1 fun is fun while it's going on. Type 2 fun is fun afterwards. We talked about it a little bit before. But quite honestly, that type 2 fun, when you can look back over a process and see the result, that's actually more rewarding than the type 1 fun. Now, we all need some type 1 fun from time to time. I'm not saying we all just need to be miserable all the time and then look forward to the... No, we need, you know, we're people, right? We, we like to have good things happen to us, and there's nothing wrong with that. God blesses us, and that's good. But when you look at the meaningful stuff in your life, it was never easy. I can guarantee you that. If you look at the meaningful stuff in your life, it wasn't easy. It was hard. So here we have some encouragement. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may remain full. So those that are working hard for the Lord, keep it up. Keep it up, and his joy will remain in you. It's hard sometimes, but remember what it says in Galatians 6, 9. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. I'm gonna, it's not of. 
It's not let us become weary of doing good. That's not what he says. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. May his joy remain in you. And for those listening that may not have much fruit to show or any fruit to show, and his joy is not evident in your life, he's not given up on you. Absolutely has not given up on you. Now, there's a situation in Romans chapter 1 where people just said, no to God, no to God, no to God, no to God. And God said, okay, I'll leave you to your debased mind. But they're walking in judgment right now and don't know it. But they don't have the Holy Spirit convicting them anymore. They're done. But if you ever have that feeling like, oh, man, I, hopefully it's not too late for me. Guess what? It's not. If you have that feeling, it's not because the Holy Spirit's convicting you. And even as a Christian, sometimes we can feel like, oh, I've gone too far. You're not getting clipped if you're in Christ. And in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness and start over and get busy. And if you've never, never been attached to the vine and if you've never known Christ and you feel like, wow, this is something that I want. The, the, the fruit in my life is not, it's not there. If you've never truly given your life to Jesus, it's not too late. It is never too late until it is, right? Today is the day of salvation. And if you feel like you've gone too far, you've done too much, God won't save you. I will tell you this with 100% assurance. The only type of people that Jesus saves are wretched sinners. That's the only type. If you're good, you don't need Jesus. You don't need Jesus. As a matter of fact, if you're perfect... You go to heaven. But I'm here to tell you, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. A-L-L, all. The only people that Jesus saved are wretched sinners. Like me and like you. You know your life. You know what you've done. I don't know what you've done. Don't tell me. Tell him. He already knows. Say, please forgive me for that. And he will. Because he wants you to choose life. He wants you to be with him. He created you to be with him. That's the reason you're created. If you've never truly given your life to Christ, like I said, it's not too late. Jesus is the Son of God. He came to this earth as a human, fully God, fully man, 100% perfect, innocent, was killed on a cross, dead and buried. He died an innocent man to take our sins because it had to be paid. Justice had to have payment. Our sin is awful in the sight of God, and he's just, and that payment had to be made but he knew we couldn't do it, so he did it himself. So he could remain merciful and loving and just. Through his love for us, he did it. Through his mercy, he gave us what we don't deserve. And through his justice, the payment was made. But he didn't ask us to pay it. Christ paid it for us. That's the gospel story. He was dead and buried. He was in a tomb for three days. And on the third day, he rose from the dead to prove his claims were true. And if you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, we're going to pray a minute. I'm going to pray a prayer. And you give yourself to Christ. And I will say this. If you do accept Christ, I will ask you to come up front. I'll just go ahead and say it right now. Because it's time to be bold. It is time to be bold. If, if you want to claim Jesus, and you want Jesus to claim you in front of the Father, he says, hey, claim me in front of men, and I'll claim you in front of the Father. But also consider this. The people in this room, for the most part, have all been saved. So it's not going to be a, hey, you, ha-ha, you're not saved. Well, no, that's the complete opposite. It's a room full of people that want people to be saved. 
We're here because most of us believe in Jesus Christ. And the reason why we're here is to be edified, to edify one another and get built up so that we can go out and tell a, a watching, wanting, needing world about Christ so that they too can get to know Christ. And if it happens in this room, great, fantastic. You're in a room full of people that will celebrate with you. We had a young man come up a couple weeks ago and get saved. We celebrated with him. Came up here and shook his hand and all kinds of great stuff. It's a wonderful thing. So what safer place to do it, actually? So I'm going to pray right now and pray for, for everyone here. And if, you've, if you are a Christian and you just feel like, you know what, I just need to really kickstart it. You know, my fruit's not really as big and plump and juicy and sweet as it should be. It's not too late. That's why, that's why Jesus said these words. The reason why he told us about this is because he wants us to be attached to the vine and he wants us to produce good fruit. It's not like you're not producing good fruit, so I'm not going to tell you anything. It's like, no, here we are. Let's go do this thing. Let's do it together. And it's a great life. So if y'all bow with me, we'll pray. As the worship team comes up. Dear Father God, Lord, I thank you so much for this congregation of people, Father. I, I thank you for the fact that they woke up this morning and they got out of bed, which I'm sure was really comfortable on a nice, cool, crisp morning like today, and made their way here. And Father, I know some people are here because they love you. And they made their way here because they just want to be with your people and get into your word and learn more about you. And Lord, there's some people here today because they were told they had to be here today. And they were drug out of bed and they're here. Whatever the reason, Father, there are no accidents in your kingdom and they're here for a purpose. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that just, just needs to settle it finally with you, that they do so. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that just feels like they haven't been dedicating their life to you, they haven't fully acted and, and walked it daily with you, that they really start that. And Father, if there's anyone here, like I said, that just doesn't know you, I ask that they pray this prayer and have the courage to come up front afterwards. And Father God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I am not perfect, and I know you are. And Father, I know I can't be with you in eternity carrying my imperfection with me, and I need it to go away. And I can't do it. I can't take my imperfection from myself because I'm not good. But Lord, you lived a perfect, sinless life and died on the cross as a sacrifice to separate me from my sin as far as the east is from the west. And Lord, I believe you are the Son of God and that you died on that cross and were dead and buried and rose on the third day to prove that you are who you say you are. And Lord, I just ask that you forgive me of my sins, guide me in my life, and I give my life to you. And Lord, I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it and, you, and you're ready to, to, to submit and give your life to Christ because he is life, then hallelujah, and I would love to see you up front. If you just need to pray for your life, your family, your job, your whatever. Because guess what? There's nothing too small for God and there's nothing too big for God. That's what the altar's for. Come on up and, and spend some time in prayer. And you're welcome to pray where you are right now too. So everybody rise up. We're going to sing an invitation. And you're welcome to come up front.